Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. This month's sponsor of the podcast is Gorgeous. If you're not familiar with Gorgeous, Gorgeous is a help desk, but it's specifically meant for e-commerce brands or DTC brands. I love, 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 love their mission. Listen to this. We believe that the next version of commerce should be more open and anyone should be able to be a part of it as a merchant or a customer. We believe decentralized commerce is better for everyone. Their core values, maximize your impact, customer first, strive for excellence, take extreme ownership, and 100% honest. I love what they do. Gorgeous is one of our favorites. They work with brands like Steve Madden, Olipop, and others. Too often, customer service gets a bad rap, and Gorgeous helps make sure that that gets a better rap. Here's a testimonial from a CEO and founder at Darn Good Yarn. Gorgeous gives us a holistic view of our customers. This way, we can provide them with fast and personalized help. Love it. Check them out. If you're not familiar with their website, it's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot com. Check out Gorgeous. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spanning Zero. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. I am so excited today because we are joined by a CMO and a VC investor, which is pretty awesome because if you actually have ever talked to a CMO, there's always this battle of like funds that we talk about with branding and like, are they really being put to the best use of, you know, the, the outcome of the business? So this is going to be a pretty wild conversation today, but I'd love Eddie to start with you. Um, Eddie, tell the world who you are, why they should listen to you. <laughs> oh, I don't think anybody should listen to me. Uh, so yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, James. Uh, my name is Eddie Revis. Uh, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for Magnolia Bakery. Um, prior to that, I worked at uh, the famous yogurt company Chobani for many many years, uh, and then before that, I was on the agency side, leading design and consulting, and just huge projects across the globe for brands like Google and. Uh, other fun ones. Um, my favorite social network is LinkedIn. That's a, always an interesting tidbit of, <laughs> of what people learn about me. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been a blast working at Magnolia Bakery for the last two years. So excited to talk about um, D2C and and growth and the market and what's happening with um, my good friend Uday, who's also here. Before we have Uday introduce himself, I got to ask Eddie, you know, like, I, I'm a sweets guy, you know? Yeah. It, <laughs> So, like, what's your go-to from, from Magnolia Bakery? What's your go-to? Oh, I know exactly what it is. So we do, it's only in the bakeries. We don't ship it nationwide yet. Um, but uh, it's only in the bakery, so you got to get to a bakery. But I love our chocolate pudding parfait cup. It's, like, layers of our chocolate pudding with homemade cream. Um, I'm a sucker for, like, rich, like, decadent desserts, and it just, it's my favorite one. So... Whenever there's one in the bakery and I'm in the bakery and I spot it, I grab it <laughs> before, before it's gone. Because it's not every day and it's not in every bakery um, because we bake fresh every day. And so the bakers are always choosing and the preps are always choosing sort of what they want to make. But definitely the chocolate pudding uh, cup parfait for sure. That sounds amazing. There's nothing, like, nothing like chocolate, right? I know. Chocolate and cream. Can't go wrong. No, nothing wrong there. All right. Uday, welcome to the show. Yep. Tell us a little bit about who you are and why everyone should listen to you. I mean, obviously for very good reasons, but. Well, thank you for having me. And you don't need to listen to me. You need to listen to Eddie because I listen to Eddie. 
so um, I'll, I'll be a quiet bystander here. But um, my name is Uday Huja. I'm the Chief Investment Officer at RSE Ventures. We're uh, a firm that invests in emerging brands across sports, entertainment, media marketing, consumer and consumer technology. And we have the great fortune of um, being investors and owners of brands like Magnolia Bakery and through that working with amazing people like Eddie across our portfolio. So, you know, we are we operate at a stage where businesses are in their growth stage. So we come in, um, help obviously on the capital side, provide growth equity and capital, but like to think we do a little bit more than that and work hand in hand, as I said, with people like Eddie to help the company, um, you know, reach its goals in the next stages of evolution. Love it. Well, thank you both for giving those awesome introductions. And I'd like to start it off kind of hot. Are you ready for this? So, Eddie, tell us about <laughs> the craziest brand experience that you've ever done as a CMO, preferably at Magnolia Baker, because I'd actually like to bring this like recently. <laughs> and tell me about the success of it. Oh, my God. Which one do I choose? That's a really good one. Um, I think over the last couple of years, our our focus at Magnolia Bakery has been to um, kind of break the expectation and confines that we're just a, a bakery in New York City and and you know mom and pop shop, which makes us amazing and makes us great. But we want to reach and, and meet more people. Um, I'll give you the most recent one that just came out this week that I think is like super fire and, and super fun. We, um, you know, our business, we, we recognize we have a lot of people that plan trips around Magnolia Bakery. They love to visit the city. They love to come and check us out. And so uh, my team and I, when we were brainstorming our partnerships for this year, um, and we were doing it all the way last year, we started thinking, like, man, wouldn't it be wild if we did a, a, like a luggage collection or worked with a, someone to make, our, make your luggage like the most recognizable bag while you stand in line at Magnolia Bakery before you go back to JFK or LaGuardia? And um, I'm a big believer in like the what ideas and, and I love executing and I love bringing an idea all the way through to market. And so we partnered with Manos, which is a Canadian, um, one of the top Canadian and one of the top luggage um, D2C brands out there. And we convinced them in some wacky world to create a limited edition luggage collection with us that's in our colorways. So it's in our, our these are real colors that we have, by the way, purple icing and banana pudding yellow. Um, they created a you know, 10 piece luggage collection in each of those colors. Uh, we launched it this week. Um, we got over 45 earned stories from Condé Nast to Time Out New York, to the New York Post, um, to Yahoo. And it was wild and it's fun. And, and it, people took away exactly what we wanted them to, which is it's like we're making travel sweeter. Um, and, and we're making you know, that experience of the airport and TSA and trying to find your bag. Um, just a little easier and a little more fun. So I love stuff like that. There's there are so many that we do every year that it's hard to pick one. So I'll just give you the most recent one, which is that. You solved the world problems, which is to have someone distinguished from everyone having the same black right? suitcase that you sort of distinguish. And yeah. you got to open it up or put a, like a little ribbon on it to make sure, you know, like, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So th that brings me to the, my next question then, Eddie, uh, related to this campaign, you know, as as a fellow CMO, like when you do something really cool from a brand perspective and you see that it actually like really resonated with people, you kind of become like, you kind of become a fanboy of your own work, right? Mm -hmm. So like, 
have have you yet caught yourself trying to find people with these luggages in the airports like taking pictures at all as you travel like have you found anybody yet because I, I would really love to see this so. uh, it just it just launched on tuesday so i don't know monica shipping times but i doubt they're in the airports yet um or just this week that we're talking um no but i, I think yeah definitely being proud of our work is is a big marker of success um and i think you know working with uday and the team at rsd we want to represent the brand to our consumers in great ways, but we also want to represent it to other stakeholders and, and just as a, a breakthrough brand that we're creating something special and doing something that others aren't or can't or are scared to do. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I love the, my team knows. That's why LinkedIn is my favorite social network. I, I love celebrating work. I love talking about work. I think it is what makes working fun. Um, I love my team getting my team, like, uh, the VP of PR on my team, she just got a byline in that week for the partnership. And I was like, print it out, hang it on the wall. Like, great job, Sarah. Like, you, you got what you wanted out of this for your career and where you're going. So it's really fun to celebrate work um, and, and have fun. And as you day and the team at RC knows, I love to market the marketing. So they get constant updates <laughs> about everything we're doing. <laughs> I love it. Well, Udi, let's bring this back to this story and that you've been obviously seeing and believing in uh, as Eddie has communicated to you and, and several other areas, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, just in general, how do you think other like e-commerce brands or, you know, for, for example, you guys serve a lot of the sports entertainment too. Like how do you think these brands need to think about brands from an investment perspective? It's changed right over the last two years a lot. I think you were in an, we were in an environment over the last few years where money was flowing in excess. And so really from an e-com standpoint, CAC mattered, but like didn't really matter. You were acquiring customers. It was growth at all costs. As an investor, I've definitely seen that attitude sort of in the broader industry shift and change. It's not growth at all costs. It is very much sort of like, Let's focus on the things that are important. First order profitability. Let's make sure that there is a long-term value to this customer that we're acquiring. So this is what we spend a lot of time talking about, right? Um, E-commerce direct to consumer is an important vehicle for Magnolia to get sort of its products in the hands of people nationwide. But we, we all want to achieve that goal, but we have to do that in a really, really disciplined way. Um, and, you know, I think that differs from, from company to company and sort of their philosophy, but there's definitely been a retrenchment in the last six months to a year where, you know, you've seen all these customer acquisition costs spiral out of control, but frankly, venture capital dollars aren't there subsidizing that customer acquisition anymore. So that's been sort of a marked shift that we've had in sort of the investment landscape in the last year relative to sort of that three to five year window before that. So that I'm going to ask, we're going to stay with Uday just for a second, Eddie. Okay. So please. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, let's say a, a direct to consumer brand comes to you. They want you to invest. What's the blueprint for success right now as a, as an investor and you look through that lens, what's the blueprint for success? Yeah, I think it has to do with sort of that equation, right? Like, sure, you should spend money acquiring customers and that is the business at the end of the day, but what is the long-term value? What is the long tail of that customer? I think that's almost became a forgotten part of the equation, right? Like, you know, the packaging or the brand or the ad will sort of make you trial the product, but the product and the experience will make you buy it again. So 
is that translating? How do you look through the numbers and the analytics to make sure that that is actually happening? And the company has, okay, maybe you lost some money on that first order, but what is the long-term value of that customer so that you're not upside down? So I think all those factors are, are really, really important. Um, you know, it is harder for a business like Magnolia, candidly, where it's occasion-based, right? But you got to win the day and create the best occasion and the best experience for them so that for every occasion and every time they come back to you because you did such an amazing job for them. So that may sound a little sort of nebulous, but that's what the story that the numbers need to tell you, right? Like people, is there passion for the brand? Is retention there? And I think if you're talking to me about sort of the two most important metrics in a sense, uh, or three that you triangulate between LTV, CAC and retention. And I think those are the ones that we would spend a lot of time sort of sifting through. I actually love what you said, Udi, because you've actually literally just validated my fundamental belief as a CMO for like ever. And that's that brand experience is much bigger than just like these, these moments. As awesome as Eddie's campaign was around the luggage and how he's going to see the fruits of that happen for a long, long time. However, it's, it's not that campaign that ultimately matters, to your point. Mm-hmm. It's the overall experience. And I think so much of brand gets lost in that. And that fundamental concept of like really what brand is, is exactly like I think I've said this probably a million times already on this podcast, but it's the definition that Disney gave. And that's that it's the product of a thousand interactions that happen with your customer and the people that engage with you. So every interaction matters, but you can't necessarily invest in all of those interactions and tackle them. So let's now go back to Eddie, and then we'll have you answer the same question after him. Eddie, what's your advice that you would give other brands to try to tackle these in bite-sized pieces so that they can have a fundamental focus on the customer? It's a great question. I'll, I'll put it in context of Magnolia Bakery and, and our evolution as a direct-to-consumer brand and company. Um, you know, for many, many years, we were out of the curve almost in shipping our cupcakes and putting nationwide. Um, the pivot that happened was we relied on a lot of other companies to do all of those little interactions right? We never had a help desk before. We never had consumer care before. We never had to answer 20,000 emails over the holiday period of where's my package and (laughs) can I change my order and I messed up my credit card. And so my advice to other brands are, um, especially CMOs and people in marketing, is to remember that a good ad can only go so far. Um, Why spend, why would I spend the money? I talk to my team about this all the time. Like, why should we be spending the money to convert, like Uday was saying, and getting and get a great CAC, which we can do, and a great LTV, which we have, and a great retention rate, which we have, if the package doesn't ship on time or if the consumer care email goes un- unanswered? And so I think the, the best place to focus um, on other brands and, and for other marketers is to really not lose sight of those ancillary or sort of those like other touch points that are happening around the ad because the greatest ad in the world could actually turn a customer away. Um, I can make the best TikTok ad in the world and have that person convert and then the product is sold out or they can't get it the date that they want or we mess up fulfillment or we put the wrong item in or we or FedEx, even worse, when you can't even control it. FedEx's plane doesn't take off to Nashville or wherever it's going. Um, and so the thing that we've talked a lot about with Uday and the RC team is uh, that idea of like slow growth, right? Like we could turn the faucet on and just 
jam customers into the website and get them to order. But we have to do it at the right times in the right places, because if we don't, we are forgetting that there's a whole operational and backend and supply chain um, that is reliant on the ad working, but then all that other stuff working too. That's probably been the biggest thing is, is, you know, we've been shipping cupcakes for a long time, well before a lot of other brands were, um, but taking all that in-house created a new perspective for everyone here. Um, I remember the meeting where I was like, who's going to answer the help desk emails? <laughs> like, what help desk? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, we got we to gotta back this up and we got to figure out what this is going to be. Um, but I think it, 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 and Uday's seen the data, I think that one tactic focusing on like the help desk and, and consumer care on my team, um, it drives a great repeat rate. Um, we know how to take care of our customers and we know how to handle these situations where packages don't make it on your birthday or on your graduation or on Valentine's Day. And luckily those consumers come back for the next holiday. Yeah, I, I think it's the customer mindset, right? And I think what Eddie's sort of alluding to, just putting yourself in the customer's mindset and think about sort of how you want to be receive that experience and across multiple touch points. So 100% agree with everything Eddie said. I would just add that the mindset of the customer in terms of you know, being able to call and change your order or being able to say, well, I'm sorry, I messed up and sort of being able to have that easy interaction. Like think about your own loyalty, right? To, uh, to brands, excuse me. You're more likely to be loyal to brands where you have better customer service experiences and who treated you well. So at the end of the day, you could look at this from an investor perspective or whatever, but simply put, it has to be a great customer experience no matter what happens. I completely agree. Uh, Udi, I want to just ask you a, a, a follow-up question on what you just said. How how often do investors look at brand equity? Okay, I know that's sort of broad strokes on what we're thinking about here because brand equity is tough to measure. But how do investors look at it and how do they expect brands to measure it. Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think when we're looking at sort of a in potential investment, um, one of the amazing things that we have to we have the good fortune of doing is working with really great founders and learning about their stories and the passionate followings that they have. There were investors in Momofuku, for example, right? And so you can look at Instagram followers and sort of engagement and how you know they're being received and Twitter followings, et cetera. Those are sort of like high level metrics. I can't say that I've found something that is a really good sort of measure of, hey, how is this brand engaging? Um, you know, there's obviously awareness studies and all that you can do. But at the end of the day, there is some sort of soft, um, you know, skill that is around sort of judging how these founders are perceived or valued, how beloved is this brand? But for Magnolia, for example, there wasn't one founder behind it. But the beauty of Magnolia was that even though it's 25 years old, it's withstood the test of time. It, it's always, it's getting more popular. It hasn't lost its cultural relevancy. Um, you know, I think in the past, people may have had a knock on, a knock on Magnolia said, hey, it was left behind with the Sex and the City area. That's not true. That's a lazy that's a lazy sort of review. Um, when we sort of dug in and did the work, said this is a gem of the, a gem of a brand that needs all the love and support for it to continue to grow and grow. So I think it's two perspectives. You obviously got to look at sort of 
all the metrics that are at your disposal or however you measure them, but also like, what can I do to further unleash the power behind that brand or that founder? And I'd say we've obviously been successful in a few instances and feel like we've already done some of that with Magnolia and there's just a long, uh, there's a lot more to do. I love it. So Eddie, your turn. You ready? <laughs> so I, I have a couple more questions for y'all. Uh, one of them is, you know, as you, what's your like piece of advice that you would give other direct to consumer brands? Mm-hmm. Like what's the one thing that you think that they need to do with brand? Boy. <laughs> there's not one, right? There's a million. <laughs> there's a, there's, a, there's over a million. I'm trying to think of in the context of where we are now with the tailwinds we have, the headwinds that we have coming at us. Um, I would say when you're evaluating ideas and you're looking at tactics and you're looking at investments, whether they're media, whether they're platform, whether they're tech, um, really thinking about the concept of like, you could look at it as like compound interest, but more of like the ripple effect of it. Um, Uday and, and I and the team, we talk about this about a lot, which is, you know, we do really crazy things here. I mean, like, we made a banana pudding body scrub with Tula. I mean, we, we are doing wild things. But what we really try to do is a, as a D2C brand is we try to think, okay, if I'm going to do this partnership, I'm going to do this, this really scrappy marketing activation or this sweepstakes, how can I pull as much value and extract as much value out of that as I possibly can to, to drive my business further? Whether that be an email address, whether that be insight into our customer base, whether that be uh, getting product into the hands of our customers and a seeding activation. So I think that's always my piece of advice to even to my students sometimes is to think, okay, you're going to take this action. What are the three things that come after this that you can maximize, you can extract value out of and use that to evaluate why you're doing it? Not for like, oh, I checked the box. I did. I made a banana pudding body scrub. We didn't just make a banana pudding body scrub. We got 14,000 new emails into our database so that we could send them emails during the holidays and get half that group to purchase. That's 7,000 new orders that just came in. So for me, that's, that's my piece of advice to D2C brands is don't just think about like what's going to happen now, but try to think forecast a few steps ahead um, and then judge your ideas and model success off, off of those. I think there's something telling though that what you're saying right now, because like I think about, so this is why I wanted you on the show for the record, Eddie. I mean, like, you, guys, <laughs> you guys are doing pretty awesome stuff and I, I like, I'm a fan, you know, like I, I watch this stuff I'm a fan of other CMOs that are willing to like take those risks and do something that's totally different. And I think about, I think about you, you all at Magnolia Bakery. I think about liquid death. I think about, um, aviator nation, which happens to be one of our customers here at flip and this stuff that they're doing. That's totally different. Like aviator nation does these pockets of communities where they release only certain items of, of their clothing lines to people that come to these musical concerts. Like, that's what it's about, you know, liquid death. I mean, they sell water for Pete's sakes and look at how crazy their brand is on social media and how it's just going viral. Um, I think there's something to be said about that from a marketing perspective in standing out and being willing to take the risk so that consumers can eat it up. Yeah, for sure. Uday, tell Matt that we just got said in the same sentence as liquid death. <laughs> go tell them that um, good, good company, to, good be company to be in yeah, yeah totally totally james um it's it's the fun part of the job it's like you know d2c marketing especially when you're building a community and building brands it should be fun too and i think that's a core to magnolia bakery like we we have a wild wild ride ahead of us and we're just getting started but um 
yeah, definitely in D to C, like the advice is like, think three steps ahead as much as often as you can around what you're going to get out of it. So on the show, we talk a lot about operational stuff because operational stuff ultimately is a lot of where like e-commerce and D2C brands um, have a lot of those like cost sucks, right? Like it just happens. And so I'd love Eddie for you to talk a little bit, of, a little bit more and let's, let's ask a few questions around the operational side of the house. Like you, you, you're right. There's a lot of brands that don't have a lot of control over the supply um, of what's happening and, and the fulfillment of an order and things like that. So from an operational perspective, uh, it has a direct impact on the customer service and the customer experience. Mm-hmm. So what's your, what's your advice to also like, uh, the leaders that are running the operations on what they can do to make sure that like they have, like they don't have all the control, but what can they control in this, in these situations to make the experience better? Yeah, it's a really great question. Something we we do a lot of um, work on here at Magnolia Baker. Uday smiling because he he knows these conversations are happening all the time with us. Um, we have a really unique uh, challenge at our company, which is we bake fresh, and we our number one selling item, which is banana pudding, um, has to be basically made to order, even for shipping. And so the constraints around um, uh, the demand planning, the supply the forecasting. Um, we, we did a banana pudding. We have a celebration called banana pudding week. It's basically our prime, our prime day at this company. It kind of was like a little sticky thing that like kind of happened. And then when I came on board with uh, someone on my team named Adam, um, we were like, let's just supercharge this thing and see how big we can actually make it. And so we did 50% off banana pudding on our website. Holy cow. We almost broke the facility. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, we were on the line packing, we're packing boxes, like, um, Uday seen it happening. The the advice I have for for the operators are like always um, uh, the way that we talk to like our operators and and our production team partners is we try to keep them along for the journey as much as possible. But then we always ask them to say like when you don't know something or you're not sure about something, you have to tell us because we don't talk your language, you don't talk our language. But at the end of the day, if we set a goal of we want to ha- we want to ship out the most packages we've ever shipped out for Valentine's Day this year. What needs to happen on both of our sides to do that? And that's the way that I set goals with our, with, in our, with our, we have a DC weekly standup, production is there, ops is there. Um, that's where we set our goals now with them is we put it in ways that like everybody can understand. Hey guys, Mother's Day is coming up. What did we do last year? What are we trying to do this year? Don't get into the minutia of like this percent growth or XYZ. It's like, we want to ship more packages than we did last year. Great. <laughs> what, what do we need to do to make that happen? So I think putting it in terms that, both operators and marketers can understand is really important because marketers, I'll say this because I am one, we can get really caught up in like the minutia and the detail and the data and the reporting. But um, an Uday scene, the reports that we send, we like to just say like Valentine's Day, shipped the most packages out of the facility ever. <laughs> Christmas made the most banana pudding we've ever made in a week. <laughs> like, that's, that's what, that's what success is. So for operators, it's just putting in a language I think that they can really get behind it understand. And I think if I could just just add something there, James, I think just strategically sort of zooming out for um, founders and entrepreneurs to understand what they can do best and what they can't do best and what is a must have for them to control and what is not a must have to control, right? There are other people out there who can do something way more efficiently and effectively then then perhaps they can do internally. So not being sort of so, it is one thing to be vertically integrated and own every aspect of the experience. And I think that's important, but I think 
it's not being too precious about that, right? Being a little bit of a realist on that front, like when is the right time to let go of that piece that's been holding you back? Because ultimately that might be the difference in you being able to have the largest day you've ever had or just being the same as last year, uh -huh. right? And so I think as you're looking to grow and scale, it's always important to sort of just keep assessing like on the op side, on the supply chain side, on the logistics side, um, what are our strengths and weaknesses? What do we do well and what do we not do well? And should we go find another solution? I love that advice because I think you're right. I think that there's too often people are trying to boil the ocean and tackle it all together. And it gets okay to not know. <laughs> like, I think we all get told that. Like, it's just admit when you don't know something, it's fine. I want to um, kind of stay in this operational side of the house just for a second because the operational side of how a D2C brand operates it's it's very complex there's so much technology that serves like really niche things so this question is actually for both of you but i'd like uday to start from an investor perspective how like what advice would you give these technology providers that are coming in or not even technology providers just service providers in general that can come in and help fulfill some of these what would you give what advice would you give them on how can they be more efficient to the buy so that it is more cost efficient for the buyer, Eddie? Yeah, I think the, the problem that we find a lot is that people want to impose a black box solution onto businesses like Magnolia that frankly, there isn't a black box solution, right? Like the business is complex. Eddie used the example of like shipping out fresh product every day. So if you come to us as a technology provider and software provider and say, these are the things that we do in apparel and trust us. And we're like, no, our business is on the line here, right? Like we got to make sure this comes out fresh every day, get shipped in time, or we're going to have a really bad customer experience. We're going to have to refund the customer's money and we're going to potentially lose this customer that we spent a lot of money acquiring. So um, we don't take lightly the the transitional costs and sort of the suppliers that we work with simply for that reason. And I think it's hard in food. I think it really, really is hard in food because it is such a unique beast, the perishability and sort of all the unique things that we mentioned. So I'd say there is um, vertical specialization and sector specialization that matters. Uh, but if you are coming to pitch us, make sure you understand our business and the complexities of the business and don't try to impart sort of the black box solution to it. Um, Eddie, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but that's sort of what's top of mind for me. Yeah, I, I would agree totally. It's like the purchaser, or the the one implementing a lot of the technology. It's what value is this going to bring, and and um, understanding the the north stars of the company and where we're going. It's it reminds me like we went through it. We we didn't have an ESP before, right? Um, mm -hmm. We were standing in the DC business, and we needed an ESP. <laughs> an email service provider. Um, and I remember our agency actually recommended someone that they were working with. And I was like, no, no, guys, like this is too narrow of a scope. It's not going to achieve like what we want to be in two, three, four years. So let's invest in the tech now that's going to help us be who we want to be in two years. And now it's really paying off in terms of like the segmentation we can do, um, the multiple lines of business. We have a local ordering side on our site, which is just doing great in terms of like pre-ordering. And I think that was a really big miss and an opportunity to say, hey, What's not the tech you need right now? But what's the tech you think you're going to need in two or three years? And taking those conversations and, and doing your discovery with them. Um, because it's really easy to say, hey, this is what I need right now. Let's plug it in. But 
I mean, we've all been there in six months. You're like, great, now I have to change it. <laughs> and I had to go through the whole process all over again of like an RFP and an implementation. And, and we just want to avoid as many of those as possible. So the primary listeners of this podcast are direct-to-consumer uh, people that are like throughout like any pretty much job in the direct-to-consumer world. And so whenever we have guests on the show, we always like to ask certain questions to help put them in a consumer role for just a second. So that's what I'm going to do. This question, I'd like you both to answer it separately. Tell me about an experience that you've had as a consumer from a brand perspective that left you like, wow, that was awesome. Mm. Wow, that was awesome. Oh, I'm trying to think of like a recent one. Direct-to-consumer brand? Um... Or any, actually, not, not just direct-to-consumer, just like you, you experiencing a brand experience that you can genuinely like it left you with memories that you're like, Holy smokes. That was awesome. Yeah. So there's a, there's a brand called APL, which is like a brand of sneakers. Um, they're super comfortable. Uh, they're also very expensive. And so I only buy them every so often. Um, a sneaker but, guy, I like it. Yeah. But um, I remember there, uh, I bought a pair and the qual something was with the quality and it just wasn't, wasn't where I needed it to be. And in my head, I was like, as I was like getting ready to talk to customer service, like, okay, this is going to go one of two ways. It's either going to go like prestige brand and they're going to take really good care and they're going to recognize like that the product, that something was with the product quality and slipped through the cracks and made it out. Or it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be like every other direct consumer brand sometimes where it's like a run around on a phone call and send an email and do this, do this, do this. Luckily, it was the the, the, the former. Um, but yeah, there was an issue with a pair of shoes I bought. And like, I, I would compare it to, if anyone remembers, um, like the Nordstrom's days of customer service. It was like, no questions asked, take full accountability for what happened, provided a solution and like was super efficient and fast. And I used it as a, actually an example, I remember with um, the woman on my team who leads consumer care. And I was like, I didn't hear the word no once in the conversation. I heard the word no, but it was always followed with no, but here's what we can do, or here's what we're gonna do. Um, and so I really appreciated that with the brand because it really was, it could have gone two ways, right? Like big D to C omni-channel business customer calling in who spends maybe purchases like once or twice a year. Um, but luckily it went, it went down the other way. So I really enjoyed that experience with the, the APL team. Good one. What about you, Uday? Yeah, I, I think uh, similar experiences with several sort of uh, e-com brands or orders, but I feel like that's increasingly has to be table stakes now. Otherwise you just won't be in business very long. I think mine's a little bit more simplistic, right? I think it's about going to your local coffee shop and them actually sort of remembering your name, which is just kind of like one of those weird things that sort of is engender sort of loyalty and a great customer experience. And and the reason I focused on that a little bit more than than maybe sort of if we weren't in the business was we we are large investors in in Bluestone Lane, right? Which is a, a Australian thematic premium cafe and, and coffee shop. And they are incessantly focused on trying to get that right. Um, hospitality at, at scale and making sure the locals are, are well recognized and you feel special walking in. And so I actually walked into a Bluestone Lane recently that is sort of open in the suburbs, which is new and nobody knows that I have anything to do with the company. And and they, because I had been there now a few times, they were, they recognized me and sort of my name isn't the most common. So kudos to them for, for remembering that. And, and I thought that that was just indicative of a, of a great customer experience, which is just really, really simple, but sort of, you know, surprising nevertheless. So um, 
I, you know, that's the brand or sort of the experience that I would point to most recently. I love it. And I, I agree with both of you. Like I have a, a similar experience, Uday, but mine was at a hotel. There, there was a hotel that I went, it was the same hotel. I went, never missed this hotel when I was traveling in to go see my team. And I was traveling like once, once a week, I'd be there for like three or four days. And after like the second stay, they knew my name. They recognized me every single time I came in. Um, that was before. Like I wouldn't give them my credit card for them to know my name. Like there's a difference, people. So like <laughs> they remember. So I, I love those examples. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Before we end, we also like to ask all guests this uh, like a, a question that is also relevant to uh, a topic that we talk a lot about on on here. So if you aren't familiar with why we came up with the name Spamming Zero for the podcast, I'm going to give you a little context just for a second. Everybody dislikes the experience of calling customer service and support. It is probably the most common disliked experience across the board. And so we came up with the name of spamming zero because typically people are trying to push zero to get to an agent as soon as possible um, when they call the phone number. So when we think of this, we call it voice. What is voice in your mind? Start with Uday. Uh, you mean like when you when you call the customer service line, like what's going on inside my head, basically? Yeah. Uh, please don't make me repeat my story three times. Please don't make <laughs> me repeat my story three times. Like, yeah, I mean, it's an exceptionally low bar, right, in, in general. And so I have low expectations. And so when there's a seamless experience, it's, it's refreshing and buys my loyalty. I'd say, at least in my experience, the worst perpetrators of this are airlines or, or things like that, where you just kind of get hopped around and hopped around and yeah so i don't I, it's it's that I, I it's a low bar and i i just pray that i don't have to repeat my story over and over again love it what about you eddie uh you're talking to the guy that until maybe like four years ago still called his bank to pay his credit card off because i was like i need to hear the person say confirmed <laughs> i'm like i'm wild with this stuff um no i think my my voice would be I'll give you like in a specific example. So I am part of like the iPhone trade-in program and the carrier lost the trade-in iPhone I sent back to the facility. And I was like inspector gadget. I was like, I have the tracking information. I had where everything was going. I had the signature who signed for it at the Carlisle, Pennsylvania return facility for Apple. I had all of my data. And I'm sitting there spamming zero and like pressing and pressing it. And then I finally get into somebody and in my inner head, I'm like, just please listen to what I have prepared and what I have done. Like, don't put me through your runaround of like your screen and your questions in this. I'm like, I think I asked the person on the other line, I was like, can I just email you? <laughs> can I just, can I just send you all this data, all this information? They wouldn't let me do that. I understand why. But um, I think my inner voice is always like, please just trust what I'm saying is true. You have no reason not to. Like, I was like, why, why would you think I would not send the phone back? Of course I sent the phone back. The carrier lost it. I could give you all the information, but I think that's a, that's an important lesson for any DTC brand is like coming from a place of no can really hurt you. Um, as a, especially customer service and as a brand, if you come from a place of no, or you immediately are assuming it's the customer's fault as they're waiting on that line, waiting to talk to an agent. Um, it just creates a terrible experience. And so always just coming from a place of like openness and empathy and, and not a place of no, I think is what I always hope in my head on the phone. Cause like, we have no reason to lie. <laughs> Customers have no reason to make things up. Like maybe there's one or two along the way, but I was like, can I just, can you just release my money? Because I sent the phone back. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Well, gentlemen, we are at time. So I want to thank you both for com- for joining us on the show. Uh, I think both of you gave some great advice and some input. So thank you. Cool. Thanks, James. Thank you for having us. If you have not yet subscribed to Spamming Zero and you listen to the show every week, we have a new episode. Please do so. We'd love to hear from you also. So if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn or any of our team at Flip, we'd be happy to learn about any guests that you want to have on the show or any topics that you want to cover that we have not yet covered yet. Stay tuned.